Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. With me today is Anna Wong, the Chief Economist for Bloomberg Economics. She and I work pretty closely together. And uh, Anna has had very good calls on uh, what the Fed's going to do and uh, the economy so far this cycle, um, including you know the uptick in inflation as well as uh, how inflation would start to moderate. Um, Anna... You know, firstly, let's get your impressions on what happened yesterday. And then what I would like to do today is ask you a couple of questions that our customers have asked me since the Federal Reserve meeting when they hiked in July and hinted that maybe they're done, maybe they're not, you know, and basically Jay Powell said that they're completely data dependent. So so your thoughts on yesterday's meeting? Yeah, you know, Ira, usually when people say this is going to be a boring Fed meeting, oftentimes something happen that makes it interesting. But I, I would say yesterday's meeting uh, indeed was true to those people's prediction. It was indeed a boring meeting. <laughs> so if we use your uh, um, NLP sentiment index on uh, Powell's speech, and if we ask the sentiment index to uh, count the number of times that qualifiers uh, or contradictory words are used in his press conference, I bet it will show uh, a sharp increase in yesterday's meeting compared to previous meetings. Basically, what the uh, what Powell said is he catered to all sides. Uh, he said, are, so to the question, are you going to hike or not in the next meeting? He would say, um, we could hike or we may not hike. Uh, we don't know, <laughs> meeting by meeting. So. Ultimately, it, it doesn't, uh, uh, on the surface, it doesn't tell you much. But our take is that he did say pretty clearly that it will be conditional on data with particular focus on inflation data. And since our job as economists is to forecast, we do have a strong view of what those inflation data would look like. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, in the next two months, so before the September meeting. So beyond that, there's uh, more uh, blurriness, but uh, I think we have some degree of confidence that in the next two CPI reports, your uh, the two primary, primary driver of disinflation would be car prices and housing prices, uh, housing rates. And it will take a lot in other areas to overcome the disinflation forces from these two categories. And this is why we think that the data by the time of September would not be convincing enough for the Fed to hike again. So I guess, so, so let's say September is a skip and, and there was a, a very smart investor who suggested to me that that maybe the Fed is starting to go in 12 and a half basis point increments like every meeting, right? So 25 basis points every other meeting for some period of time. And, you know, so far that's played out certainly in with the June skip and the and the July hike. So, so I guess the question then becomes, okay, if they skip in September, which would, you know, continue to, to, to have this, uh, the, this, 12 and a half basis point pace of interest rate increases. 
What, what then do you think is the threshold for them to hike in November again and, and go up to where the dot plot currently suggests that they're going yeah, to get to? Yeah, so, so I, I can see that markets are pricing a higher probability of hike in November, like twice as high as the probability in September. So I think the, the threshold would be pretty um, stringent, right? This, uh, the, the threshold would be not only that uh, inflation print in the next two months leading up to September's meeting has to be subdued. The core inflation report uh, leading up to the November meeting, which is another CPI inflation report, has to continue to be subdued. Probabilistically, you know, for three consecutive events to con uh, consistently be on the low side is a uh, uh, is, is a smaller probability than two uh, straight reports, right? Um, fortunately, those three uh, subdued uh, inflation report, it's a it's not an independent event. It is a conditional event on each other. Uh, in other words, um, the story that we are telling about why you're likely to see two consecutive C uh, subdued CPI report in the next two months continues to hold uh, in the lead up to the November meeting, um, which is that I think that, um, you know, I, I can name a couple of things. First, uh, consumer finances are becoming more and more stretched. In today's GDP report, we saw a pretty robust uh, top line number, but below the surface, you see a clear weakening of the consumer, right? Uh, that that uh, PCE consumption went down from over 4% in first quarter to now 1.6% in the second quarter. And we're, we're expecting this to continue to step down in the second half because number one, you have student loans, uh, resumption of student loan payments. That adds to uh, on average $300 per month for a borrower. So in a household of two, that would add $600 uh, per household. Um, and also um, a lot of uh, these, these uh, emergency allotment for food stamps um, have already expired, and that also subtracts a couple hundred dollars from you know households who are poor. And this is why you're seeing longer lines in food uh, food banks because people are actually becoming unable to buy food. It's not just downgraded downgrading to cheaper food. It's people poor people are just having more trouble getting food, and so th uh, this is why we're seeing a uh, rapid increase in delinquencies and those delinquencies are going to keep surging in in the latter half of this year and let you know one of the biggest rebuttal to why consumers will be okay was that jobs are still plentiful but if you actually look at the numbers even having a job won't help you to pay your bills because everything else has increased by so much of the prices in, in terms of prices over the last three years that you know you, you, your job has to pay at least my estimate is at least low 20s per you know uh, per hour 22 dollars per hour to get to get even close to breaking even your bills not to mention spending anything on discretionary so i think uh, it's looking increasingly dire for the consumer, and ultimately, the the biggest impact on the economy comes from whether credit uh, banks and uh, lenders would uh, decide to stop lending. And uh, credit spreads historically have been 
really the nail in the coffin of a downturn. And so far, we have seen very narrow spreads, and that's because delinquencies are, you know, are rising, but from a low historical base, and also bankruptcy are also rising, but from a low historical base. It is the speed which these two things are rising, which concerns me, and I predict that by the end of this year, uh, delinquencies would be around at their 2010 levels for consumer loans, and bankruptcies also would be uh, much higher than for and. You know, once that happens, then you will have very clear, uh, uh, you know, signs of economic slowdown. So there's a number of people who have asked me and and are concerned, and certainly, you know, the, these are you know larger institutional investors who are concerned that there might be a reacceleration of inflation um, going forward. Number one, and and I think you make a compelling case as to you know some of the opposite of green shoots, I guess, that are, <laughs> that are kind of um, cropping up in the, in the economy. Um, but, but what do you say to, to those folks who think that you're going to see a reacceleration of inflation? Now, now, part of it is I think some people are looking at year-over-year inflation and extrapolating out and noting that, you know, the, um, uh, that comps become much more different, much different. But if you look at, at inflation more on a, a three-month annualized or, a, or or even a month-to-month basis, it, it does seem like it's it's slowed down. But if if you wind up with CPI prints that start to creep back up toward you know the 0.6 kind of level um, or 0.5 kind of level, that then obviously um, you know that that would be uncomfortable for the Federal Reserve if if, uh, if if not concerning. So you know what what why do you think that it's unlikely that you're going to see a any kind of uptick or meaningful uptick in inflation over several months? I'm not saying like, like you noted, obviously you might have one month that surprises a little bit to the upside, but but you know what what makes you think that it won't be a string of months? Where, um, where where inflation starts to uh, start to rise. Yeah, so let me be clear that the outlook that I just painted is for the rest of this year. Um, so I think the the factors I just uh, mentioned would be driving the this is the near term outlook, but for 2024 or even looking at to 2025, I think your client story of reacceleration of inflation. That is entirely possible. And I think where I differ from them is the timing of this. So as I was saying that the two overwhelming force that will be driving disinflation will be uh, cars. Um, and that's related to uh, the lags of monetary policy. You could see that you know, high interest rates is causing higher rejection rates of car loans other consumer loans, which is putting downward pressure on demand and therefore prices for cars and as well as as other consumer products. But and the second one is rents, right? And the the contribution of disinflation of these two factors are so still so could be so sizable in the next six months that you will need a very serious acceleration in other parts of the economy uh, to overcome that, that to cause you to start seeing core CPI print of 0.5%. Um, so the kind of uh, inflation prints that your clients are thinking about 0.5% core CPI print. However, I could see that happening in actually in the CPI report towards the end of 2024 or 2025. If the story is that the housing market has has finished uh, adjusting, and um, in fact, prices, housing prices are going to rise again, and that effect 
will happen will only show up in the CPI print at the end of 2024 or 2025. And as you know, the Fed is acting and designing policies on these data, not on the so-called uh, true inflation or real-time inflation frame. You know, there's this there's one camp of people who have been arguing that rates are already excessively tight because they look at a measure of inflation called true inflation, which captures the real-time rent series. And by those series, inflation is way even below 2% at this point. But if you go by that measure of true inflation, it means that the moment that housing prices uh, start inching back, then uh, inflation, we're in trouble again. But unfortunately, the Fed does not go by true inflation, and therefore, what they have in it before their eyes as they make policy in the six, next six months is this somewhat lagging uh, uh, reflection of what rents are doing. Uh, but at least it's it's not lagging for goods. Um, and then it is, uh, and and so for the housing uh, rebound story to play out in accelerating a, uh, a, a CPI print to 0.5 percent per month, it will it could happen at the end of 2024 to 2025. And that's when uh, I think that the stop-go cycle, the go part of this after the stop of the Fed hiking cycle could begin. However, I, I will need to say that I did plug in these stop-go scenarios into the Bloomberg economics policy rule, which has been very accurate in tracking the Fed's reaction function. You basically need core PCE inflation to get back to above 5% territory for the Fed to actually continue hiking more beyond 5.5%, uh, which we have right now. So when you talk about acceleration of inflation, I don't mean just tiny bit of acceleration. It has to be like clearly surging. And given that the way that data, uh, uh, CPI and PC is measuring these things, it will take until the end of 2024 before one could come to a decisive conclusion that something is turning around. And, and I, I think that's what the Fed would, the, that's the timeline of that, how that story could play out, a stop-go cycle. So let's, uh, last question for you. And, uh, you know, so it sounds like that you think that there might be the possibility, um, you know, certainly get, given your current outlook that the Federal Reserve maybe does ease monetary policy a little bit next year, but then either stops or maybe has to, you know, do some kind of adjustment. Could we see a situation, and and what probability do you put onto that, of a 1990s style, you know, the Fed's going to hold interest rates basically where they are now, you know, minus 100 basis points back up to where we are now with just little tweaks um, in terms of in terms of shifts to monetary policy, and and I guess a a big part of that might be your outlook for longer term inflation expectations. And, you know, do we actually get down to where 10 year break evens are currently, right? Do we get down to, you know, under two and a half percent CPI on, a, on an annualized basis? Um, or do we have something that's a little bit higher than that, that causes the Federal Reserve to keep the Fed funds rate, say, above 4% for, you know, the next three, four, five yeah, years? Yeah, so we considered three scenarios of uh, uh, economic scenario. And the first one, we get a mild 
recession later this year. It's a mild one. And inflate, inflation eventually converges to 2% by 2025. In that case, the Fed will be cutting rates by about 100 bips next year and another 120 bips uh, in 2025. And uh, by the end of 2025, rates would be at about 3.5%. And the scenario where inflation gets stuck at 3% uh, permanently, because maybe the, the Fed allows the labor market to run a little bit hotter uh, than the neutral rate, and inflation is just stuck at 3.2% for the next three years, we still see cuts um, next year, about 50 bips of rate cut. And that's because the Fed wants to keep real rates constant, right? And, and uh, to do that, as inflation falls down, you, you do cut. So even in a stuck at 3% inflation scenario, you still have rate cuts, and uh, Fed funds rate would be at about 4.5% at the end of 2025. And only in this scenario where you have the stop go, where inflation reaccelerated to over 5% um, at the end of 2024, beginning of 2025, that you do see the Fed will have to hike all the way to six over slightly over 6% uh, by the end of 2025. And that go cycle would only begin uh, on the, in the first quarter of 2025. So in a, in a situation like that, I think it can be interesting for um, for how the, the treasury market and treasury yields might react, because if, if that ends up being the situation, then you might not see, necessarily see a significant movement at all in the, in the long end of the curve, or you could actually see some bear uh, some bare steepening of the yield curve, which is very atypical, um, but that would only happen in a scenario where the, the people thought that the Federal Reserve would be hiking interest rates in the in the future, um, even after the the Fed might uh, might cut a little bit. So, so that's great. Anna Wong, Chief U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics, thanks very much for coming back on Fic Focus. Happy to be here. And with that, we're going to ask Anna to hang on the line just for a moment or two. And we're going to go to Will Hoffman to discuss your interest rate intro. So, uh, Will, what question do you have for me today? Hey, Ira. Thank you, as always, for having me. So with the Treasury refunding just around the corner, I wanted to ask how much additional issuance do you think we will see? What are some of the drivers of this additional, additional funding need? And finally, what do you think the timing of any additional in issuance increases may be? Would it be all at once at the August refunding, or would we see some modest increases over time? So, Will, as you know, we just published our Treasury refunding primer, and uh, where we updated our forecast for Treasury issuance over the next uh, over the next couple of years, and we just initiated our 2025. Treasury issuance forecasts. Um, so we, we estimate that the budget deficit will remain over $1.5 trillion for over the next two fiscal years. Um, and uh, th that's based largely on Anna's outlook for the for economic activity, um, as well as uh, as federal uh, spending needs uh, continue. Um, with that 1.5 trillion, interestingly, we probably wouldn't need to see any new issuance because the uh, under current uh, policy, the the um, gross issuance is actually still very high, although it's lower than it was during 2020 and 2021 when, when the government had massive fiscal stimulus that needed to be funded. But importantly, a lot of the 
two and three year notes that were issued back in 2020 and 2021 uh, are starting to mature at this point. And because they're starting to mature, net issuance is starting to go down. So, th- so that will require then the federal, uh, the, the federal government to increase um, issuance across the board in order to fund these uh, $1.5 trillion deficits. So, so my expectation is, is that the uh, the government will announce on Wednesday, uh, August second, at the refunding announcement, eight thirty a.m. Uh, that they're going to increase coupon issuance across the board, um, also increase tips and and floating rate note issuance a little bit, uh, mainly to keep those products in line with um, the the share of uh, Treasury market outstanding, um, and and not to decrease liquidity in some of those products while you have uh, you know more more Treasury issuance now. Yeah, you know, as we get this more treasury issuance, how how much will they have to raise? My my, uh, my estimate is that they'll have to raise um, about six billion dollars um, uh, of each coupon uh, through um, uh, over time. So so they're going to do a billion dollars a month basically over the next six months. Interestingly, we we think think that the peak is not going to be at where it was in 2021 uh, before the the Treasury Department started to lower the amount of coupons it would issue. Um, and then finally, the reason they're going to issue a uh, billion dollars more each month is uh, is not to shock the market. Um, yeah, you know, number one, to make uh, to, to kind of ease into the additional supply uh, and get the mar- have the market not be completely offside. Um, and number two is because in case they don't need the money because they have some windfall, maybe the economy and tax receipts are better than than we forecast. Um, then then maybe they don't even have to go all that six billion dollars. So. Um, although we think that they will. With that, Will, thanks very much for the question. On behalf of Anna Wong and Will Hoffman, I am Ira Jersey. Uh, Until next time, be well.